and go. Hello. Yo. Hello, Sister Stevie. <laughs> Hi, poopy head. <laughs> Emily's in my phone is Emily poopy head. Stevie's in my phone is um, Sister Stevie. I feel like I've told the Sister Stevie story on here before. I think you have. Yeah. So I'm not going to tell it again. <laughs> <laughs> You weren't listening. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm sorry, listener. Um, Sister Stevie was one of my imaginary. For you, one listener that is really annoyed right now because you didn't hear the story. I had an imaginary friend named um, Sister Stevie when I was little, who was beautiful and wonderful in every way, and she was what I wanted to be. Anyways, mm. um, that's so amazing, isn't it? I apologize. I'm gonna apologize right now for my behavior on this episode because. Okay. Um, I'm having a horrible period, like so bad. I'm, I'm in so much pain. And I took an edible because it helps. Um, and relax your muscles. Yeah, relax your muscles. And me thinks that she's kicked in and I'm feeling a little bit unhinged. So bear with me. It's okay. I love, I, we need, uh, we need more unhinged women right now. I agree. Okay. Believe it that. Um, <laughs> so do you, so do you want to read? Um, we're going to do a little question yeah that we got can i just say i'm loving how many questions we're receiving like it's really cool because sometimes i worry that like when we pick topics that nobody wants to hear about it but like at least one person wants to hear about this so that's exciting um but big butt capital b that being big said butt. it is important listeners that when you're sending us questions that you are respecting our boundaries as people and as just gals like probably yourselves um just trying to get through life and like because we don't want to be it's not our inbox is not confession i'll say i'm we're very we're more than happy to hear about your hoorays and your questions and even like if you have some traumas that you feel comfortable confiding in us maybe let us know at the beginning of the message and if you feel like you're ready to disclose that that's fine i'm not talking about traumas i'm talking about um some of the things that we've received um have been a little bit violating in the sense that they're disclosing of um, accounts where they committed violation and in talking about that to us is a violation. Yeah, because it's like our inboxes um, are coming to us. Mm -hmm. So it's um, we are constantly checking them because obviously we want to make sure that we're seeing all of the very, very valid questions and hoorays and, and concerns and everything that you guys have. Um, but again our our that's not a place to um dump potentially triggering information mm -hmm. without a warning mm -hmm. um and it's certainly not a place to um dump something that you think will be received well by one of us um because you need to get it off of your chest and it was something that was violating at the time that it happened to another person mm -hmm. So I don't really know how else to say that because we want, like, because please keep sending yes, us your we, questions. Yes, we are like, truly adoring hearing from you. It's just, it's just being aware that you're, we're not, like, we don't have people running our social media or anything. It's us on there. So um, yeah. just being aware that there's people that are reading it. We're talking, we're clearly talking about a specific instance that happened. Well, it's hard because we don't want to not be getting messages and, and questions. And the people that have confided in us, we're not talking about you. Um, trigger warnings are always good at the beginning of messages, but, um, and then we can be, decide if we have the mental capacity to keep reading. Um, so those are always nice, but we're not talking about those instances. It, it's just, it's not getting things off your chest and then just leaving that with us. That's not what this is. It's not a, it's yeah. not a dump. We like communication here in this house. Um, so having said that, um, would you like to get to a very valid and lovely nice question. question? Yes. I'll read it. So this is a curious cat. Um, again, we'll link all of our things. So somebody sent in this message. They said, so I know you have talked about this before, but I wanted to ask about what could be considered sex as I was talking with some of my friends about sex and about what is considered sex. And most of them had never considered that things that aren't penetration could be considered sex. And I guess this is because of the lack of sex education in the heteronormative society we've grown up in. So listener, we're going to talk about what is sex? Sex, baby. I can't. <laughs> anyways. anyways, what is sex? 
So when starting to like do research on this question, I was like, what is the actual definition of sex? Like just like dictionary wise. Mm. So I looked up and the, the, according to Google, <laughs> sex is defined as sexual activity, including specifically sexual intercourse. And I was like, okay. So then I looked up the horrible, horrible definition. Not good at all. <laughs> that was defining it without defining it, which yeah. I think is exactly what sex is. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, and so then I was like, well, what is sexual intercourse defined as? And I looked it up and the first definition is literally man thrusting penis into woman's vagina like thrusting was the word used in the definition they were like can't just be a gentle push it's gotta be thrusting we love that um okay oh but then i looked at the wikipedia page because i was like that's gotta that can't be all that they say yeah um and it and they mostly define sexual intercourse as literally just an umbrella for all kinds of sexual acts including vaginal intercourse anal sex oral sex fingering using sex toys etc um so so what this boils down to is that sexual acts are whatever you consider sexual acts so me personally i gauge sex based on a certain level of intimacy that is personal and intimate enough to be considered like sex for me um this can range, but like for all people this can range from literally holding hands to penetrative sex and i like don't i say that very seriously because sex drives vary what someone considers to be intimate varies like for somebody with trauma the simple act of touching and holding hands could be intense and intimate enough for them to that for them to consider that on a level that one might consider sex and like i'm not saying that sex has to have an intense weight but i think it's when the acts of intimacy you're engaging in begin to require some kind of responsibility and awareness and so that totally transcends to masturbation too and i don't have a definition of sex because stevie put it so perfectly that i agree with literally exactly what she said and that means a lot from you because i feel like you articulate (laughs) everything perfectly all the time so it makes me excited when you're like yeah when i say something yeah that was so comprehensive and so perfect um i think the part that i have to add um is that when i i don't want to say like discovered but like when i recognized that i was queer Mm -hmm. um i was disoriented for a bit um because like the central nervous system of how I viewed sex had been completely dismantled. And I went from um, everything I knew about sex, which like really was nothing because I was centering it around penetration. So it was Mm -hmm. like flawed to begin with, but to knowing like truly even less because I just didn't understand, like I I couldn't wrap my head around how um, I couldn't wrap my head around sex outside of penetration. And then so um, when I like came to <laughs> like when I realized that in reality sex is centered around pleasure and so however you feel that as long as it's consensual at every step um, is perfect and is that going to look the same for everyone absolutely not so while it's harm it's not harmful to frame your your sex life around penetration what becomes harmful and problematic is when it's not only not on your terms when you've not defined it yourself and then when that becomes something that you project onto others Mm -hmm. um and again that's with anything and if you feel like a friend or a partner or someone is embodying a mindset that is harmful to themselves um it is an act of love to call them out on that and that's said with a lot of emphasis because i think it's really important um to make this uh um helpful to translate have this translate into this person's real life i think um something that's helpful is um for me outside of solo sex i ask for consent for everything um consent is sexy i was that's literally what i have yeah i literally have that written down yeah um and so if not having like very strict guidelines is something that makes you nervous or not having a definition around sex makes you nervous, um, ask before you do anything always. But if you don't already, this could help a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I literally have written consent doesn't kill the mood. It's literally the hottest thing you can do. So Because um, you know what it does? It makes people feel safe and seen yep. and heard. And that is going to lead to some hot ass sex. Yeah. And like, ultimately this just leads back to, um, boundaries. And 
honestly, what doesn't? <laughs> but like, yeah, um, I'm a big fan of ask for what you want over asking for theirs. Mm. Um, and then kind of gauging from there because I think it's easier, believe it or not, I think it's easier to say what you want than to, um, than to definitively give a yes or no to someone asking for me. Oh, interesting. Um, I think both are very hard for me because I think both are very difficult because if it's a yes or no, my tendency is to lie and say no, but then I'll never ask. So understandably yeah i say i say this is past me not me anymore yes yeah exactly um but basically sex is a menu i have a very fun little metaphor um sex is a menu and so you don't have to order one of everything you get to choose how much or how little you want and if your eyes were bigger than your stomach you can stop or try something else at any point consent can be withdrawn at any point is the metaphor that that is yep that that is embodying yep, 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 yep um and that's it (laughs) that's all i have to say (laughs) that's such a good metaphor oh and i wanted to bring up um emily was looking at an instagram account that was asking people um what sex is and sorry no, no, no 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 it's okay um and a lot of people brought up in the answers that it's something that ends in orgasm or something with the intention to meet orgasm and that's so so false that is false. Um, and it's this, not right. Yeah. Long. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing with penetration. It's just like, why would you limit yourself like that? Why would you do yourself that disservice? It's the same exact thing as viewing sex as something that requires more than one person. Um, ultimately, just why would you do yourself that disservice? Like yeah. sex is for pleasure. So, so lean into that. Yeah. And like, it doesn't need to be with an end goal. It's not a, you're not running a race. Um, if something feels good, it feels good. There doesn't have to be like a goal Yeah. in, in that, in that venture. Yeah. And it's like, for me, I, I'm making up things because I don't know if this is true, but like, um, <laughs> but like for me, like I wouldn't consider making out sex or I wouldn't consider um, anything past that I probably would consider. Um, that's that's what I would say. Yeah. yeah. And like that could be where we're at. With, with a partner. Yeah. With a partner. With myself. I'm not going to say what I define with that as myself because that's between me, For myself you. and I. Hell oh, yeah. threesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have a great time. <laughs> I love that. That's the, uh, there's, okay. It's just so cheesy, but like, listen to Soulmate by Lizzo. Okay. There's a line where she's basically like, she's talking about how she um, dumped this really toxic uh, person. And she goes on to say like, basically, I'm my own soulmate. And then she's like, and one of the lines is, and you know, the sex is fire, which is like so true. And I like fucking scream that line every time. Every time it comes on. Okay, I'm gonna put it on our playlist. Anyways, okay. Before I forget what I was gonna say, um, Mm. the point is, is that like, I think Emily and I both kind of equally think that most things after making out, like I think I consider sex. Um, I forgot the original point that I was trying to make. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but um, honesty, right, man? Yeah. I forgot the original point I was trying to make, but the 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 moral of what I wanted to say is that you define what it is, and it's okay if it's not the same. Like it, it's okay if you don't consider holding hands intimate enough to be sex. Like I don't. But why would you judge somebody that does? Exactly. And so, and you could think that it takes a lot more for it to be considered sex, and that's great. No, no, no way is superior. It's truly mm-hmm. a very personal um, definition. Definition. Yeah experience yeah should we get into the episode i think we should oh yeah i think we should get into the episode listener we hope that that was um at all helpful for you and if you have any questions you know where a curious cat is (laughs) you know where to find us you know where to find us all right um all right let's dive in uh so (laughs) now i finally get to tell you my title oh yay my title is so this is young at heart this is episode 16 <laughs> is it 16 yeah i think Wait, so beyond the sea was 13 yeah yeah so it's 16 gender better than lazarus yeah wow can you believe we've done 16 episodes no we're almost done with the first season oh my god i feel like once you make it through the first season it just flies oh the first season is the longest season yeah like okay 
anyway anyway season one episode 16 young at heart we're gonna call it another l by chris farter chris farter i love it <laughs> we open on tashmu tashmu oh i pay attention to nobody's names mm, okay no this is actually a place so i believe you. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to say Tashmu. I clearly don't know. <laughs> Ta- Tashmu fe- Federal. Wow, that's a mount. Hold on. Tashmu Federal Correctional Facility in, <clears throat> in uh, Pennsylvania, 1989. Mm. Anyway, so this inmate hears his friend screaming. So he goes to like the sound, the source of the sound. Mm. And he sees John Barnett, who's his friend, on an operating table with his arm cut off and his eyes are like glossed over, but he's alive because he sees him blink at him. Um, the doctor is like, John Barnett is dead and threatens the inmate until he leaves. So now we see back to DC present day. This is one of my favorite establishing shots of them getting out of the car ever. Yeah, no, it's a good um, one. Yeah. Mulder and Skull, and it's also um, very much so not Jillian walking behind David, which I also no. Love. It's her really trying to she's, get up there with him, like yeah, she's definitely making herself in the foreground, yeah, putting herself in the foreground. So Mulder and Scully are heading to a bank that's been. We robbed. have a question. Um, Did yeah. Jillian know she was pregnant here? Yes, actually, yeah, yeah, she definitely knew because well, I swore maybe I'm crazy, but I swore I saw an interview where she was saying like if I knew I was pregnant, I maybe wouldn't have done that stunt. Or was she just saying like oh, I probably mm. shouldn't have done that stunt? Like it just forethought. Isn't that's an interview or something, right? Good luck finding that for the thread. Damn it. Um, that's very true. I do remember her saying something like that, and this would have been very early on, so I'm not sure. I mean, I'll deep dive. I did it to myself. She was pregnant. She, was she, she definitely, not? yeah. Whatever. Whether um, I am in love with this very specific Scully look. I know I say that every episode. <laughs> she has great looks in this episode. But, yeah. I don't know what it is. Like, maybe it's her getting out of the car and gliding across the sidewalk in her G-Woman outfit. Or, like, maybe it's just her. But I'll, I'll let you know when I figure it out. They go inside. Mulder knows the man on the case. Fucking Reggie. Reggie, Reggie. <laughs> I'm sorry, that made me laugh so hard. Because <laughs> David does not commit at all. He like just does it so half-assed that you're just like, ugh. Reggie, <laughs> you're like, ugh. And then he like laughs at himself out. He's like, <laughs> This is Agent Scully. <laughs> Scully's like, what the fuck? He's like, where did we just transport to? Where are we? We're in a high school like, football game? I feel game? like I'm on a bad trip. Okay. <laughs> anyways so he tells them that this lone gunman took out the sales girl um after she filled the bag for him then he leads Mulder only oh here we go literally completely shuts scully out of sight and consequently jillian out of frame it's like Um, i'm i got really mad about this i'm sorry but it's it's okay he literally says this is gonna blow your mind and then proceeds to pull five times from five times first of all and he pulls him away from scully and it's like in what world would when giving evidence do you pull one agent away from their partner like what exactly so he does it he does it to hand Mulder a piece of evidence and says that this is going to blow your mind. Yeah, and like, then Scully has to like. Times. Yeah, and then Scully has to like sneak back in and like beg to be let in on what's going on. And then they still talk in shorthand, so she has no idea what's happening. And like, I know this is something they worked on together in the past, but like, she's your partner. Like, just fucking let, just let her know. Step out of yourself for five seconds. That maybe that should be the title. Yeah. So Scully asks, of course, because she's trying to do her fucking job. Yeah. What is it? To which Mulder responds to his little sister. He was forced to bring along to hang out with his friends. Well, well, wait, wait a second. Before continuing to address the only other man in the conversation. Wait, that just registered what you just called him. <laughs> that's what she. That's that's how he treats her in this episode. That's literally exactly what it is. Yeah, she's like, "What is it?" He's like, "Well, wait a second. He's like, "Mom said I had to bring you." <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Just stand over there. I'll be done in a second. And she's like, "But I solved the case." He's like, "Shh." Oh, don't even, oh, don't even give, okay, let's continue. (laughs) So the man associated with the evidence and the image description from witnesses is Barnett, um, the man who supposedly died, didn't die in the beginning, who was missing half an arm. Um, 
Mulder's, it, he tells Scully that it was his first job at the Bureau trying to track down Barnett. Um, he had been involved in a lot of armed jobs and had gotten away with all of them. Mulder's theory at the time was that Barnett had an inside connection, and when they investigated that to try to set a trap, he was ahead of them and started leaving them notes, mm -hmm. um, and that was why Mulder was so intrigued by what was at the crime scene, because what what Reggie was showing him was a note that was left at the crime scene. Right. It's, um, it's more past haunting trauma for Mulder that David does absolutely nothing with. Absolutely nothing. And the note says... Fox can't guard the chicken coop. So Mulder tells Scully that they did they did catch him, but an agent died because Mulder fucked up. And um, I honestly was finding it very difficult to focus here because whoever did Jillian's makeup this day, I want to give you a big smooch. Truly something, truly something like this is like she is my dream girl always, but especially in this moment, like she the purple eyeshadow with her giant blue eyes and the rose lip and her floof and the freckles and her nose was like lightly dusted with some blush. <laughs> okay. It's my favorite thing when you like paint the picture that is her face. Oh my God. I love it so much. Like every square inch. Like, uh, I would be so lucky to be loved the way that you love Dana Scully. Uh, <laughs> gonna make me cry okay i do love her a lot so Mulder tells her that he was sent barnett was sentenced to 200 no no sorry i'm 340 years in prison and that he died in prison four years ago so he takes the letter that was left at the scene or the note that was left at the scene to a professional woman making sex jokes okay. we love it here wait here we it's like i why is he allowed to engage with her in this though like we would never get this with scully i'm so fucking sick of it we're halfway through season one i mean i'm happy she wasn't the butt of any jokes which is that's a, true know, she plus. was the one in initiating them which i liked yeah but you're very very right um we know that Mulder last 10 minutes very telling scene um this woman clearly wants Mulder if she hasn't already had him which yeah. fits with which, which fits with chris carter's complex that everyone wants him because he's just projecting through Mulder. So uh, Chris she Carter, says, Chrissy, so she, baby. <laughs> no. <laughs> so she looks, <laughs> she looks at the, the note and she says that it's probably Barnett's handwriting. Um, so cut to Scully and Reggie watching the capture footage of Barnett um, from when Mulder got him the first time. Scully sees that Mulder had a clear shot at Barnett but didn't take it because it's not by the book. I just say that it's funny that they try to make Mulder this tragic hero who's like been through so much but still does his best because he cares about the work even though he's sacrificing his well-being and then that's exactly what Scully inadvertently becomes like Scully is what they tried to make Mulder and that happened on yeah. accident because they neglected her and traumatized her Mulder just comes off as whiny egotistical and inconsiderate that's the ticket and I have so much more to say about I that I do too let's talk about it at the end okay. yeah I have a lot at the end so um, then Barnett starts shooting. He kills the driver he was holding hostage and agent Steve Wallenberg before Mulder shot him in the shoulder and the hand. Reggie tells Scully that at the courthouse when Barnett was being sentenced, um, after he w after Mulder served as a witness, um, he turned around and he said that he'd get Mulder. And I'm just reminded again here of how deeply, uh, how deep into Mulder's psyche this show allows us to go and how little we got of that from Scully. Yeah. Like, like, and again, just what you said, just how much Mulder is painted as this, as this tortured hero. You want to succeed, and Scully as his sidekick, who's like also traumatized in the meantime so that his odyssey can have sustained meaning. Yep. Mulder gets uh, the, the death certificate from the prison where Burnett, where Burnett was being held. He indeed died in 1989, according to that. And then he tells Scully that, um, this is weird because there was a nine, there's a 95% chance that the note found at the crime scene to like that day was Barnett's handwriting and it was written in the last 48 hours. Scully is trying to solve the case. She's saying it must be a very clever copycat. Did you pull any prints from the note? Maybe Barnett set this up with someone on the outside. Um, aside from her trying to do her job, I'm a huge fan of the sea, uh, sea foam green suit. Mm -hmm. I literally, I big wrote, fan. I took the time out of my rants about men to write, wow, Scully is so beautiful. She's so beautiful. 
Um, and Mulder's like revenge from the grave. That'd be a neat trick. Centering himself again when that is actually a very plausible theory considering Barnett was originally entirely on to them setting him up, it's, but he's just pouting I, and it's like, no, it's all about me. I mm. feel like the really smart, intelligent suggestions that Scully poses to solve cases are like episodes I would rather watch. Like 100%. Like, Ooh, that's a really cool concept. Like I would much rather see that. Because you would rather see them work it out than see- him. It just give um, it to, give in to him. Exactly. And just see him ask the questions that he already knows the answers to yep. because you know he's going to be right in the end. Yeah. And it's like, I, I was going to talk about this later, but like Chris Carter's dialogue is so heavy handed. It's like he does not trust that his audience knows anything that's going on. So there's actually no suspense at all because he's like, you clearly have no idea what's going totally. on. So I'm going to literally say it ex- Man's word word. I mean, th- Chris Carter. <gasps> all the Chris Carter's every episode, mansplain. That's the. <gasps> every. Every episode Chris Carter has ever written is just one 45-minute long mansplaining sesh. That is the perfect way to put it. Holy fuck. And then Scully says, fine, you want to make this all about you? I know he planned to get you. And then he gets mad? Yeah. As if her watching a videotape and learning more about the possible suspect is a slight against him and not her literally just trying to do her job. Like, I, oh, I have a lot to say about this, okay? It was like, where the fuck does Mulder get off expecting impeccable communication from Scully when her father had just died and she'd yep. know, heard things she was having a hard time processing? When he acts like this every time, he's not even necessarily going through something. He's just, it's like every, literally every episode. Oh boy, no, no, this is what he's going through. He's going through being someone who doesn't sleep, doesn't <laughs> want to cook for himself. He, you know, <laughs> doesn't have any friends. Well. Like, yeah, like what the fuck? He's, he's such like, uh, oh. Well, the thing is, is that it's like, we're very aggressively eating our meals right now. <laughs> Stevie, <laughs> Stevie just slurped her soup scouring into the camera. <laughs> okay, anyway. Mulder needs to get a fucking grip, okay? He needs to get a grip. He is fundamentally unable to separate the personal from the professional, and he literally centers himself around every single case where that line is blurred. Like yeah. he says, instead, instead he's like, I've got some dead bo- some dead man robbing banks and sending me haikus. Like, yes, you're right, Mulder. This is all about you. You're correct. It's not about the fact. It's not about the fact that a woman literally died on this case again. And now you're yelling at Scully and slamming the door in her face because, as a professional partner and a colleague, she's trying to tell you you did the right thing. Literally, like, none of it makes sense. Fucking pardon. None of it makes what? sense. It's like she i found it it's like she cares so much more for him when he's upset than he does for her especially in the beginning totally. and even when he does show a lot of care for her concern as we've talked about before it's centered around him it's like it's him losing mm-hmm. something him upset that somebody has totally. hurt, like his possession every episode that shows Mulder having a hard time from something from his past is literally just scully talking him down from a temper tantrum over and over because yeah. it's truly it's like one i mean one of the biggest arcs that we see from scully is her abduction arc in the second season and literally the the entire uh that entire arc is is about her journey but centered around Mulder's pain and guilt and it's like um this hero complex they literally wrote it as if it's a story of a man's processing of his partner's abduction. Totally. It's not the story totally. of her abduction. And then this is like a very tiny thing, but I think it goes uh, well with what we're going to um, briefly talk about at the end. So I don't hate this line of sympathy that like uh, Mulder gives the agent who, who died, that he had a wife and two kids. But it, it, it irks me because like it's as if as if he were if he were a single man his death would have been less significant because he left less of a footprint on this world as if establishing a nuclear family is what allots a person to be remembered and mourned like it, it like pictures these women and like kids as his possessions exactly like, look at what he's like yeah. earned like and grown as if yeah, people like, are things yeah. that you can earn it's like totally and it's like the nuclear family is supposed to afford a man like decency and respect 
but it's like the same line of argument we hear about cases where there's been violence against women we hear men say i can't look at my daughters and i can't look at my daughter in the eye and support this man who sexually assaulted women or i don't want my daughter growing up in a world with men who do this and like this you is should like just a- not want a world where men do that exactly That's as it. if all of these men don't have whole ass mothers and wives like the ability of men to care about women outside of their experience of them is minimal and that's Mm -hmm. literally embodied by the show um and the point of this rant being (laughs) that this man was a family man if he had been a single man the intrigue would have been less if he had been a woman the intrigue would have been even less Mm. if he had been a woman who was a prostitute the intrigue would have been in the fucking toilet like when we frame interest in justice around others in that person's life, what does that say about our value of individual life? Mm. Like it just emphasizes and conforms to the structural importance we place on establishing a nuclear family so that we can be controlled in that way. Yeah, when, like, literally talk about it. That's it. And I'm just so happy that you let me have that space because that that just reminded me, I, I, I mean, I don't hate that because it's valid. Like if he had people who cared about him, of course, they're going to be upset that he, that he died. But like, when that's like, when that is the, when that is the cornerstone of why you want to pursue justice, like it just, it doesn't make any sense. Anyway, you literally explained that so perfectly. Okay. Thank you. Everyone. I'm requiring you to rewind and listen to it one more time stop <clears throat> no i can i can do whatever i want okay <laughs> so then Mulder goes to the agent who died he goes to his son's football practice because man Mulder's so sad mm. he cares about mm-mm. yeah and then again Mulder's anger here frames this as some sort of like personal vengeance he has to find the truth and it paints scully as his sidekick like getting too involved yeah. in his, getting too involved in his business holding him back like he is the hero whose heart is too big like there shouldn't there shouldn't need to be some moral moral hierarchy in solving a case when scully's heart is just as big but she's able to direct that care and pursuit of justice to the case and not to any personal odyssey like scully's devotion to the truth is just as severe as molders and yet we're being forced to witness this lone spirit from him again for what yeah for fucking well it's like people's lives are sacrificed for Mulder to maintain this kind of this lone wolf yeah yeah, for him to maintain that and ultimately the biggest victim is Scully but the first victim I think in this episode is Reggie totally because it's like um which which we'll get yeah yeah which we'll get to um but you know but ultimately the biggest victim of that is Scully is Scully 100% um, and so as Mulder's getting into his car, he finds a folder on his seat with paparazzi shots of him in his Armani suit. They're really hot. <laughs> they're of course they're hot. What are you talking about? He doesn't hear hearing me out here. Early season one, Mulder, that's my man's. That's my baby. But like okay. halfway through season one, his hair gets all flat. And like, <laughs> like that's those- my baby would die for him. His hair gets flat. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know her. <laughs> so like it, he goes in and out for me. Um, and then season four comes back with, with a, okay. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Um, and then there's a note with them that says a hunted fox eventually dies. I'm sorry. Hold on. I just, I feel like you. <laughs> Cause I know. Stevie is having a full blown watched... fucking mental breakdown over season four Mulder. I just watched the field where I died the other day. Oh, wait, like, that's a big one. What a horrible episode, but oh my god. Yeah. Okay. 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 Wait, wait. Okay. Okay. Hey, good? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So, um, I love to, um, so, uh, the end of that scene, they, they go to the man who Mulder walked incredibly close to on the bench when he was walking to his car. Like, we knew who it was. I knew who it was the second I looked at all of those. Totally. Um, and it's like, Fox, the position of the body suggests he was watching television Mulder somehow misses the literal suspect sitting at the football practice not 10 feet away from him. Yeah, you got to keep it consistent. If he's going to be that good, he better be that good all the time. Exactly. Like, what the fuck? 
Is this allowed? Well, this okay. is what I mean with Chris Carter, everything he does being so heavy-handed. Like, the second I saw the shot of everybody on the benches, I was like, there's the killer. I knew that was, yeah, literally. I'm like, um, that's him. Like, I, it also certainly doesn't help that he was wearing a full ski hat and, like, molders and, like, a trench coat. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's, like, trust that we're smart enough to, like, it's, like, handle a little bit of mystery like we'll get it we'll get it this is an investigative show like let us try to figure it out a little bit yeah i want to know who it is from the first page and it's like there's not a good balance of that on the show because it's either that where they give you everything or there's the long-term plot where it's like not nearly enough is given or anything that does doesn't make any sense (laughs) so no matter i either immediately know what's going on and it's stupid or like i have not any clue you know that that gif of Oprah being like, so what is the truth? <laughs> like, that's starting the X-Files, and that is finishing the whole 11 series. Yeah. 11, up, uh, 11 seasons. Can you tweet that? Because that's a viral tweet. <laughs> no, no, no. That has the makings of a viral tweet. I'll put it in the thread. Now, of course, Mulder goes to talk to Reggie, and he's like, Barnett's not dead. And Reggie's like, how could you say that? Then he starts telling, then he starts yelling about how Mulder's a liability and they had big plans for him and his brilliant mind. And Mulder's like, I didn't give up my dream, dad. I gave up yours. And then Scully comes in and apologizes, even though she knocked on the door. <laughs> that was like, it's like Mulder's talking to his dad and his little sister comes in and is like, sorry. <laughs> She's like, I got the cat stuck on the roof. Sorry. <laughs> My fingers stuck in the jar again. My my fingers stuck in the ketchup jar. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) But it's like I don't love. I wrote the same thing, but it's like um, she literally walks in with pertinent evidence that will help solve the case, and she says sorry the second she gets through the door. Right, and she's presenting evidence relevant to the case. Yeah. Which is a copy of Barnett's last will and testament. Testament? Testimony? No, testament, I think she says. Anyway, she tells him that his ashes were spread across the Delaware River. He was cremated. And the important part was that he left what he had to Joe Crandall, the, another inmate, the man that we saw in the beginning, who saw Barnett on the operating table in 89. Mm-hmm. So Mulder goes to this woman who's trying to get what is that called? Like a like a facial recognition or facial composite mm, of yeah, composite. Barnett based on how he would have aged. And while that's happening, we have a flashback to Mulder in court testifying against Barnett. The scene was so shit. David cannot act, but we love a female lawyer and a female judge. Yes. Love to yes. see that. That's the, that was all that I took away from that scene. Yeah. So Mulder said basically on the witness stand that it's against FBI protocol to unnecessarily endanger the life of a hostage coming from the man whose journey to find the truth has killed and endangered so many people. Mm-hmm. So but he, no, in, in mm-hmm. this minute, he's like, oh, no, I can't shoot. I can't do that. He's yeah. like, that's a rule. So, it's like, when the fuck did you care about it being a rule when you were like risking other people's lives to fight your fear of fire? That's literally the the crux of this episode. So he didn't shoot because killing one man himself would have been against FBI protocol, but inadvertently and indirectly letting your work endanger people is okay. Yeah. Got it. And it's so funny to me because then he starts getting really mad and he starts yelling and it's like David being given the opportunity for a similar scene that Jillian had in Beyond the Sea and he just fucking blows it. He literally just fucking blew it. Out of it. He just blew it. Oh my god! It's I was like, "Turd Central" on that scene. <laughs> Turd Central. If this was a shit Sunday, that scene would be the, the uh, cherry on fudge. top of this nope. turd cake. <laughs> trigger warning. <laughs> shit. <laughs> trigger warning. Discussion of feces. <laughs> shit. <laughs> Anyway. shit talking but it's um, not what they think literally shit talking literally literally, literally. Shit. although jillian would love that because we stand a woman who literally talked about her liver flush. her own oh i was thinking about when she talked about her poop story and she Jaylen talked about her poop a lot that's the point so when they show <laughs> 
this part's really funny. When, when they show Barnett turning around and saying to, he'll get Mulder, the woman sitting next to Mulder is like, oh, shit. <laughs> She's like, after we watched that scene, I wasn't watching really closely because I got bored. I saw she said she said we're like we should post like a we should post a screen recording of it where it just zooms in on her, one of those things. Like, yeah, no, we will. We will. It's so funny. So Scully does most like does she go to like these court cases just like for fun? Because you can just sit in on court like I want to know. So Scully does most of the work, of course, and she comes to report to Mulder that she this is back to present day, that she had the prison send over all of his, all of Barnett's medical records. She says that despite the fact that Barnett's death certificate says he died of a heart attack, he was given a clean bill of health six months earlier in a uh, physical and was admitted into the infirmary for an infection in his right hand. Um, so now they go to the correctional facility and they talk to Joe um, Scully found both the correctional facility and the inmate, Joe. Let's just get that straight. Well, this is just yet another episode where um, Scully does so much work. It's like this episode is episode 16 of the series and like all the ones that Chris Carter writes are literally the same. And then it's just like, oh, I feel like a lot of his episodes feel like it's like some kind of assembled blueprint of what an episode should look like rather than because it was a story worth telling yeah yeah like he just like yeah, he's yeah, just yeah. like he's pulling shit from a formula and then part of the totally. formula is that scully does so much and isn't like valued at all totally. and also totally. gets put in danger which i really talk about later totally you know what um I mean? yeah I so they tell joe that barnett died of cardiac arrest and joe responds and says i bet he isn't dead because the last time i saw him he was blinking yada 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 mm-hmm. So they go back to DC, they go back to the office and the phone rings and it's Barnett. That night, did I even write what he said on the phone? No, because it's some fucking bullshit. Who cares? It's bad acting as well. So yeah. So Mulder is talking to Reggie that night on the phone, trying to tell him what happened. And of course, someone kills Reggie and leaves him a note. Um, I wonder who it could be. Well, it's like, I feel really bad that Reggie dies because I really liked him. But like, in order to maintain Mulder's paranoid loner status, he's not allowed to have any friends. And so if he's going to stay the washed up golden boy working out of the basement, like the second Reggie and Mulder showed any kind of affection to each other, it's obvious that Reggie's going to die. And so it's like, he's the first victim of this, but Scully steps into those shoes very quickly as she already has at this point in the series. And she becomes the biggest long-term victim of this, um tropal maintenance i don't know but it sounded so smart we're gonna keep it so the note so scully and Mulder go to the crime scene oh and then she walks in and she yells at everybody which i loved i love so the note says uh funeral for fox's friends then for fox so clever so (laughs) back to this legend of a woman the handwriting analysis lady i love her me too i wish we would have seen a scene with her and scully how fun totally she says that this person is definitely right-handed which is confusing for Mulder because barnett is left-handed um no he had his right arm amputated right okay let's start over so she says this person is definitely right-handed and that's difficult for Mulder because he had his right arm amputated thank you stevie (laughs) so um she follows in the line of women solving this case for Mulder and says for what it's worth because there were no prints being found on these notes if the suspect were wearing a glove on his pen hand the note wouldn't have smeared in the way that it did the line of women solving the case for Mulder isn't that the fucking theme of the show yeah um so back to women solving this case for Mulder very Um, quick turn very quick turnaround I wrote here, pregnancy glow must be real because holy fuck, she looks so good. See, I think, okay. Do you not like how she looks in this scene? I think she, I think she's glowing always. I I know, but I swear that I see it like more in this bit. Interesting. Okay, fair. Um, So yeah, back to women solving this case for Mulder. Very quick turnaround. This time it's Scully. She says that Dr. Ridley... Uh, the dude who signed Barnett's, D, uh, I almost said DC. That was short, <laughs> short for death certificate. Um, DC. Has an aff- 
hasn't officially been a doctor since 1979 that the state of Maryland revoked his license for malpractice because he was experimenting on children with progeria, which is an advanced aging disease that is fatal. Um, and he was, uh, he was experimenting on them by trying to reverse this aging process. The doctor they're talking Chris to- Chris Carter just has a fucking kink for doctors experimenting on people without their consent. Yep. Ooh. Ooh. He does. That's a good one. That's a really good one. So the doctor they're talking to about um, Ridley says that he lost his license because they found out he was continuing to test on human subjects um, like Barnett. Mm -hmm. Um, So cut to Scully writing up her report and someone, clearly Barnett, um, is in her apartment and is like stalking around her. Surprise, surprise. Can I just say... This is at least the fourth time Scully has been attacked or violated in her home. And it well, is episode like, 16. Well, has Mulder even uh, be has Mulder even been slightly uncomfortable in his apartment at this point? Like, no. I don't He's even been think nothing but blissful in his home. I don't even think we've seen Mulder in his apartment. It's not even the fact that she needs to be attacked or anything in her home. It's just the fact that someone is in her home is a violation. And they don't even realize that. Exactly. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll just have him, like, sit in there, like, hang out. Yeah. And it's like, also, Scully's been consistently the one in danger the last three episodes consecutively. Like, pick a new trope. I have, I'm going to save. I need to. That's the ticket. I have more to say so, about this. So, what I have to say. beautiful in her house right yeah, here. Yeah. Her glasses. Her glasses. One of my favorite outfits. Her glasses. And her little barrette. And, and her barrette. That's red what I have. shirt with those high-waisted black okay. pants. Okay. This shot is so important to me. Like, we've got our girl, her little floral teacup, her glasses, her barrette, her red sweater, the dark eyeshadow, the dramatic candles. I, my girl, hard at work. I'm so proud of her. Okay, that's it. I, re- I literally wrote beautiful profile shot of baby Scully in glasses. That feels like it's just for Emily. It was just for me. It was just, just for I you. Paused, I paused it for so long. I bet. <laughs> So someone knocks on the door and it's Dr. Ridley on her door and it's Dr. Ridley. She calls Mulder. He comes over. She's like, baby, got to get over here. She's like, baby, you got to come over. And he came over looking so hot in his jeans and that black jacket sitting like that on the couch. Oh, I thought you were going to like go off and do a little bit and say he came over with like a bottle of red and was like, all right, you ready? And she was like, what? No, I have a witness here. What he are you came, talking about? He came over and he like opened the door by like making out with her and pushing her into a wall. And she's like, babe, we have company. She's like wiping we? off her lips. She's like, oh my God, there's someone here. Like, there's someone here. He's like, oh, sorry. Hey dude, what's up? Solving the case. She's like, she's like, she's like, later, later. I need to wait. <laughs> You're the one who's, oh my God, I hate I you. If anyone has any fic of um, Mulder, of Scully opening her door and Mulder grabbing her face, please. <laughs> please. Spare. Spare her some. Okay. Anyway, so. Fic, please. Mulder. <laughs> so Mulder and her start talking to Ridley and um, Barnett, he basically says that Barnett is the only one who survived the experiments he was doing. Um, he has a salamander hand and he was financed um, by the U.S. government to do these tests. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Scully is the only one taking notes. Mulder's just kicking back. His feet are up. He's like, yeah, oh, it's so interesting. And Scully's like, okay, I'm going to be the one to have to fucking actually do legal yeah. work on this. Like, When it's like, it fits, okay, it fits a couple of tropes. It fits the trope. I don't know if this is considered oh, a trope. it's secretarial, it huh? Very secretarial. Um, and she also was taking notes in Beyond the Sea, too. <laughs> When he wasn't? But while he was interviewing. Yeah. Though that makes so, me really upset. I know. So, like, uh, I know it's really annoying. Like, could this just be something Scully does? Like, does she just like to take notes so she has Sure, like, a but place? it's not because it's written by men who were just like, yeah, the woman would take notes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it also falls into the narrative that, like, women will, will do twice the work to get the same recognition of men as and men. less pay um and less pay um but am i nearly uh completely blinded by these shortcomings because scully is so cute and i want to marry yeah. her yeah but i yeah. but i noticed them but i noticed them. i might supplement that issue by doing an at home with dana catherine scully lookbook so we'll see 
So Mulder contacts Deep Throat because he's sick of doing the work by himself. God. He tells Deep Throat <laughs> really? tells him that Barnett stole and has all of Ridley's research and that that's why the U.S. government is involved and is bargaining with him to get it in exchange for money, immunity, a safe haven, whatever. Mm-hmm. So then we cut to Scully. And it's a very nice shot of the soft light in her kitchen. Um, she's coming out of the shower with wet hair to because someone called her. Um, and I would like to be her wife. <clears throat> you would like to be like, babe, don't worry, I'll get it. Yeah. Please. Okay. So <clears throat> cut to her going into work. She tells Mulder someone was dialing into her private answering machine. Um, it's just such a violation okay first of all this is another example of scully being punished for trying to have a personal life because like oh yep. she didn't have friends then none of this would no one would have been in danger yeah. and the- she didn't have a fun cello friend yeah none of this would have <laughs> happened why do they pick a cello recital that she's going to what because anyway. scully's refined okay um and of course she likes the finer things in life oh, okay got it but it's like also of course scully is so upset that someone came into her house and that um her, that emotion that she's feeling and like the, right as she's about to like get into it it's immediately usurped by the phone call from barnett totally like yeah yeah you're immediately right immediately usurped like it's like oh so, she's so upset anyways so she basically tells Mulder that she swore someone was in her apartment last night and then she tells him that she had the machine scanned and they found barnett's left index finger um the print of that on her answering machine then, as Stevie said, Barnett calls Mulder again and tells him he's going to kill all of Mulder's friends. Okay. So it's like, okay, so with Boggs and Beyond the Sea, Mulder was like, he's playing you to get revenge on me. And this is literally another case of that where Barnett's trying to kill Scully because he knows Mulder cares about her. It feels like Mulder is in elementary school and Scully is his prized toy and all the bullies want to break it. It's not the first time and it's also not the last time. Nope. Mulder, oh, Mulder knows that Barnett heard on Scully's answering machine that she's meeting her friend before her cello recital. So they round up a team and they go and stake out at the recital. Mulder says to take him alive if you can, because he needs to be the hero if he's going to not kill him. Um, Despite the fact that he spent the entire episode saying how he wished he killed him when he had the chance. Now, all of a sudden, he's on the government side, which was quite frankly a plot twist I did not see coming. Yeah. Then he says, um, basically, Scully's the target, um, and she says something about it being the first, and I was like, it's okay, baby. It won't be the last. It made me really sad that she says it's the first time I've ever played the target because she inadvertently has, inadvertently has already become the target on a majority of cases, and she just doesn't see that. Like She's like, oh, it's just part of the job. Yep. Not realizing that it's happening to her so much more. Well, I mean, because men wrote. I mean, Chris Carter doesn't even think that it was happening. Right, of course. But if I'm thinking of her as a real person, like I am. Totally. Barnett is already inside. He's fixing the piano that's on the stage. So they missed him. And he has a gun. Um, He goes out to the lobby and, of course, walks right past Mulder because Mulder has already forgotten why they're there. Um, (laughs) He shoots Scully twice. La, la, la. Literally. He was, like, in full conversation. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Barnett shoots Scully twice. Uh, Jillian flies back. And as we mentioned earlier, she was pregnant here. Yeah. She's concerning. Um, but it's just like this episode is literally just lazy, clunky writing. And that laziness. Clunky. Mani- yeah. It's clunky. so clunky. And like yeah. the laziness manifests in putting Scully in needless danger and creating suspense from a body shot on a federal agent who knew she was a target. Like Scully in peril is just a storytelling shortcut for the writers all the time but especially in season one like she's a literal pawn to propel the plot exactly so uh he he runs back into the stage he takes her cello friend hostage and it's a standoff again between Mulder and Barnett Mulder shoots him and of course that isn't even the most impactful scene in the episode (laughs) like the most impactful scene is when Scully like comes to and she pulls down her blouse to see the bullet lodged in the vest right over her heart it's like a literal five second scene, but Jillian's acting. So I was, good. I knew it was happening and I was like, holy shit, thank God, dude. You're thank like, God for that vest. Thank God. You're like, I, I was worried there for a minute. Like, I really didn't seen see that, that coming. So <laughs> well, I have a lot of thoughts about this ending. The ending ending or that scene's ending? No, this, this scene's ending. Okay, Like go the for case it. is ending. 
the entire hostage moment is so contrived and convenient. Like shots have literally just gone off in the lobby. The musician, the musicians are still hanging around question mark. <laughs> and like more than that though, she isn't suspicious enough to notice that a man with a massive fucking gun is running down the aisle at her. And then like <laughs> this scene just wouldn't happen. And it's like, and of course it's a damsel in distress because Mulder's goddamn martyr complex wouldn't be heightened if Barnett had just grabbed the pianist. And it's like just so obviously an ideal, <laughs> unthoughtful situation that that was just created to allow Mulder to come out as the hero. Like that's it. Well, and it's also like let's put someone who's close to Scully in danger t- too. Like why? Why when you have a when you have a um, throw another woman in there when you have an uninvolved better. when you have an uninvolved man and someone who is very close and near to dear near and dear to Scully's heart. Why choose the uninvolved man? Why not hit her where it hurts? prequel for i think the worst plot line of this entire fucking show maybe every any show i've ever seen in my entire life um which is the death of melissa scully which is scully's sister who we've yet to be introduced to but i um hate chris carter for that plot line alone and i will die on that hill mm-hmm. anyway so we cut to the hospital barnett is conscious but he's not talking oops but he's not talking um to agent who to the cia hello to the cia while he's trying to be saved by doctors scully says Mulder, i know what you did wasn't by the books and Mulder says tells you a lot about the book doesn't it which okay like like was he questioning his, his hate for the government what is that what his this was? entire mo is not playing by the books so like where's the significance all in of a this? sudden I it's like don't understand i don't understand this was established so um barnett dies and in the last shot of all the people this is pretty much where i i ended off there's a woman um are you ready for this yeah in cowboy boots black biking shorts an oversized blue dress shirt and a black leather jacket with a full farrah fawcett blowout and like she's my icon where was she she was like walking she like walked in and then, like, out the door. Oh, she wow. was talking on the phone. What a queen. So then they zoom in, and, like, Mulder's like, where are the papers? Like, whatever. Where's the research? And they zoom in on a safety deposit box. Whatever. It's, like, another open-ended ending that's never going to be re- revisited. Like, the last line is literally, somehow, I don't think we've heard the last from John Barnett. First of all, have. horribly written. Second of all, why say that? And What's we have. the point? And it's literally, like, they just want to leave wants to leave all doors open just in case and i'm like have some moxie shut a few doors and in a series where like villains actually do reappear that's pretty rich coming coming from chris carter i was not at all surprised to find out that chris carter wrote this episode no um the entire thing is an insight into Mulder's backstory scully trying to chase him around like his sidekick and dialogue that makes zero sense with absolutely zero continuity whatsoever um and so i just wanted to talk about very quickly this like guilt versus hero complex um Ooh, because talk about it. Look how cute my is. i love it it's so cute i love that you're eating soup out of it so i think in in some episodes we see a huge savior complex from Mulder, and others like this one we see a mind-numbing guilt complex but to be honest, like his guilt, his hero complex just has roots in his redemption complex. Like ultimately they both center around, like they ultimately both center around him, right? Yeah. Like whether that's him trying to shape the case around himself to be the hero, to make sure he's showing off as well as showing up, proving people wrong, or him needing to find some sort of redemption. Like neither of these are centering around the victim. Both are complexes both complexes are for him to feel grounded for him to be able to look back at his work and say, I got you the truth I needed. Mm -hmm. Like he's unable to attribute something to bad luck or to bad timing or just life in general, because everything has to be about him. Like it's unconscious, but it's selfish and it's so harmful. Yep. And just like on a larger picture, it's so about men thinking they're the only ones who can fix something and going in alone despite the harm that that will inevitably cause. Literally, I'm so proud to be your friend. Oh, stop. That's exactly. Stop. That was it. That was 
it capital I I T period. And the guilt complex leads to someone needing to reel him back in, right? Yeah. And of course, that's Scully. Scully. Constantly comforting him, constantly reassuring him that what he did was okay, despite the fact that he keeps pushing her away. Well, that's pigeonholing her as in the maternal role because the woman's job is to support and cure, like cultivate like a yeah. safe space for a man to flourish. Yep. <laughs> it's very telling that the two episodes we've seen from Chris Carter have been Mulder-centric, where Scully is quite literally not in the mainframe um, she's used as we, we've said, she's used to drive the plot forward to fill in the gaps where they need to tie two parts together. And that's usually through endangering her in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is very, very telling and coincides with how Chris Carter saw Jillian. Like he wanted a yeah. woman who was convincingly smart, who was sort of a plain Jane, a woman who you wouldn't give a double take to if you saw her in the street, who could fade into the background. And unfortunately for him, Jillian's face and her acting were so astonishing that when she's on screen, she's the only one you're looking at. And when she's being hidden, you find yourself asking, where's Scully? And not that this is relevant, but like jokes on Chris Carter for thinking Jillian Anderson, the hottest, most statuesque person alive, hasn't radiated sensuality her entire life. Literally. Well, and here's the thing. If you look at all of the episodes like in catalog that Chris Carter wrote, look that you get a really clear idea of what he thinks of scully like from what we've seen so far he also wrote space think about how the entire episode that we talked about when we talked about that was that how she was not valued she was on the side she was solving problems but like she wasn't being listened to the other woman wouldn't give her the time of day it's still molder centric like and then he wrote fire which is the exact same thing yep exactly it's the exact same thing like Scully has no agency and I think some of the other writers could look past their egos as men and be like, oh, she's an interesting character that people like to see about. Let's give her more and did. Totally. And then because yep. she got pregnant, Chris Carter was forced to give her a little bit, which ended up making her become the vocal point. So like, fuck him. Yep. Like Chris Carter didn't intend on creating a feminist character. What his intention was, was creating a male tragic hero that could be supported by a smart respectable woman who in order to be that who had to be sexless like that was it was never about her in his mind and so like this entire episode is actually the cornerstone for guilted men it's like they whine and they moan and they complain about how much guilt they're harboring waiting for the women in their life to raise them and refuse to do any of the work to actually heal themselves oh but like it's in his suffering that he's made a hero, which is like fucking toxic masculinity is a disease. Okay. It that's is all. a disease. And that's the final thing I have to say. It's a horrible disease. And it's like, like Chris Carter, get well soon. Although I'm afraid it's probably too late for you. All right. Do you want to talk? Do you want to do a little Jillian's corner? <laughs> Let's do a little tiny tidbit of Jillian's corner. Okay. It's a little bitty tidbit. And we're going to sing it really tinyly. Ready? Okay, yeah, I'm ready. Jillian's corner. Take it away, Captain. So we are recording this the day The Crown came out, season four. Yay, Jillian. I'm so proud of her. Her she, acting, from, from, from what, what I've, I've seen, heard. Holy fuck, yeah. I haven't watched it yet, but. So that's the thing. I want to support the show because it's given women, particularly middle-aged women, jobs. Yeah. Um, That are of such incredible caliber that mm-hmm. give them so much to work with yeah a um, lot of depth a lot of demand um but essentially peter morgan the creator of the crown <clears throat> Julian anderson's boyfriend said that thatcher was a feminist icon and that she was a heroine uh in a lot of ways mm. and who you know hmm. anything about margaret thatcher she was anything but a feminist icon and that's putting it lightly Margaret Thatcher was uh, the most one of one of the most. I mean, Boris is 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 giving her a run for her money, but she was one of the most homophobic, racist, divisive uh, prime ministers in British history, um, among the most hated. So to hear Peter Morgan call her a feminist icon, um, despite the fact that she 
foundationally didn't even believe in women and being in positions of power is funny to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more concerning because um, I'm just going to say, reiterate what I said on, on Twitter <clears throat> because it's true. But basically Peter Morgan was saying, you know, she really fought her way through the boys club and she, you know, was being patronized by them and, you know, faced so many challenges in that realm. The only reason she was able to be in the boys club is because she shared their beliefs of hatred, racism, and homophobia. Yeah, she compromised all integrity and morality. The boys club she was being she was entering into was, I know, 100% male, 100% white. And so Margaret Thatcher chose the privilege of her whiteness over the solidarity of oppression and womanhood. Like white women do this every day. She didn't overcome anything. Yeah. Can I read you? I have a really good quote. Rachel Ricketts, who I adore, um, said, there are enough folks with enough power and privilege to create change. I'm talking to white women. The gift and beauty of being an oppressed oppressor is that you have your heart open in a way to what oppression actually is and feels like. So you're more willing to transform that. That is where loving anger can be utilized. And Margaret Thatcher did none of those things did none of those things i love that she did the exact opposite of what rachel ricketts is is suggesting is possible um yeah that's that's all i have to say i i'm sick of people saying um not to call out people that you admire not to call out people that you love holding people that you love accountable is um is loving them Mm -hmm. i would say in addition to that going back to what we mentioned in the episode um you do not have to have a personal connection to someone who was who is part of the LGBTQ plus community, mm. who is queer, who is not white, for Margaret Thatcher to absolutely uh, be completely repulsive. You should you. be repulsed by her regardless of your experience with marginalized people yep. or women. Final note that obviously transcends this this conversation, but feminism is about choice. Mm. Um. So whether that choice is to be a stay-at-home mom or be a lawyer or be a sex worker or um, whatever, that is the crux of feminism Mm -hmm. is that you have that choice to decide. It's like when we talked about how – you don't want to like we got somebody got mad at us on twitter a while ago because um somebody said that jillian if she didn't get the x-files would be a housewife and we were like there's so many things wrong with that but first of all like what if there's nothing wrong with choosing to be a housewife with choosing to cook dinner for your husband with choosing to like be that role if if it's truly your choice so don't use women making the choice to do that as like a further dig at them if they're not feminist use more concrete examples and in margaret thatcher's case like her policies exactly and that's it that's all we have to say um we'll have we'll do a happy throwback 90s jillian corner next week or next episode yeah 100 percent. um but this is just it's very fresh so so we'll give you something fun next week (laughs) we love you listeners we love you um thank you for listening thank you for i can't believe y'all are with us oh we hit 5k last week i mean this will Mm. who knows we'll be by this time this comes out but like i cannot i i meant it in our first episode when i said that like maybe three people would listen like i truly i mean all of this is wild all of this is wild and just i'm so so grateful thank you for listening um we love you so much stay powerful stay true to yourself love yourself go eat a brownie okay bye that's it (laughs) bye bye